This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. To Blue Notes, your hockey podcast network home for your reigning, defending, undisputed champion of the world, St. Louis Blues. I'm your host, Don Franklin, welcoming you to episode number 46, or as I would like to call it, the Roman Pollock episode of Blue Notes. Not a lot of 46s to choose from for this, by the way. We're starting to get to the point where uh, we're getting some real obscure players on this uh, Jersey countdown that I do every episode. But regardless, eight wins in a row for the St. Louis Blues, a 3-1 to win over the New York Rangers on Tuesday. We'll talk about that. Also, uh, the Blues signing a very intriguing prospect of theirs, another late-round gem uh, to an entry-level contract this year. We'll tell you who Tyler Tucker is and why he's so damn intriguing. And then uh, we have a fun little uh, Blue Notes march in history for you. We'll uh, we'll tell you about it when we get there. But if you're a fan of listicles, uh, this is your uh, kind of thing here. So uh, without further ado, it is a midweek episode here. And that means it's time to introduce our uh, our guest for our midweek episodes, the one, the only, Wags. Wags, how's it going, my friend? Oh, it's going well. It's always going well when you got a team on a win streak. It's uh perfect and, and it's something that they need to do because other teams are winning behind them so it's it's important yeah they're they're catching fire at just the right time you know hockey's you know always a game of you know ups and downs you know the blues are aren't unlike any other team they have their dips now and then but uh another special team this year because this is the uh they're in the midst of their third winning streak of at least seven games this season the last team to do that as i mentioned on Monday's episode was the 1977-78 Montreal Canadiens, uh, at least uh, teams that won the Stanley Cup the year prior. So always good to be compared to those uh, 70s Montreal Canadiens teams. Yeah, especially when it's not on the other end of you lost to them. If you're compared to them in their winning times, it's good. Yes, yes. And, of course, the Blues can claim two losses to the Canadiens in the Stanley Cup Finals. So, uh uh, but then again, that's, you know, I'm sure other teams can claim the same thing. So, you know, we're, we're in good company. <laughs> yes, we we're, are. We're in very good company. So three to one win on Tuesday over the New York Rangers, an Eastern Conference opponent a team that, you know, as you kind of alluded to, you know, a lot of teams are. This is the point of year where teams are really pressing for position. Rangers are in that category. I mean, a lot of people wrote them off uh, beginning of the year. They had the second overall pick in the uh, draft. They took Capocaco, who has been, you know, taking, you know, a little bit of time to get adjusted to the NHL, probably more time than Rangers fans would like, but he's going to be fine. Uh, but the team itself, they're competing for a spot 
And yet the Blues go into Madison Square Garden and they get the job done, Wags. Yeah, that they did. And I think it definitely helped that Chris Kreider was not available. Uh, yes. you know, his speed really could have killed them. I mean, they still had Zabinajad uh, and they still have Panarin, both guys highly skilled. Zabinajad got the only goal for New York last night, opened the scoring for the Rangers on the power play. But yeah, I mean, they, they, they just do what they do. They go in, they play their style. They wear teams down and then they get timely goals and they get timely goals from people that are supposed to be scoring. Colton Pareko with the goal. Braden Shen, a goal in his fifth straight game, one away from his career high. This team is once again gelling at the right time. And we still got a little guy coming along here in a couple weeks. Hmm, yeah, I wonder who that guy could be. A little tank coming and coming along here in a little bit. But the but the thing that impresses me about the Blues in this run is up until the New York game, the couple of games prior, kind of shootouts, winning ugly. You know, I mean, you know, wins a wins a win, of course. But even Craig Bruby mentioned that, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the best teams, they still find ways to win, even when they don't play their best. Uh, you know, one or two players rise up to the occasion. Um, and then Tuesday, you know, more of a standard, you know, blues looking good uh, type of a game. The encouraging thing, though, is that Jordan Bennington looked really good. He stopped 25 of 26, and I think both the team and he needed that because he had had a rough couple of games there. Yeah, he had. I mean, during this win streak, he is 6-0, a 941 save percentage, two shutouts. But, yeah, the, the games against Chicago uh, and against New York Islanders were rough. I mean, yeah. he started – he really started to kind of – bounce back in that Islanders game after that first period. So you could really see it coming after that in, in that time frame. And then obviously you had Allen play in the Dallas game, who's two and zero against Dallas during the win streak as well. So, you, you know, great goaltending, but Bennington, it, like you said, he, he, he'll have his moments where he'll backtrack a little bit, but before that two shutouts and one goal against, against Minnesota, a couple of hiccups, but then right back at it right after that. Yeah. We know with Bennington, anytime he goes into a swoon, it's never permanent. It's never long. I mean, he was he became famous for his ability to bounce back after losses uh, during or bad performances during the Stanley Cup playoff last year. And really, in a lot of ways, he's been that same goalie. And uh, they're going to need that going down the stretch. I mean, yes, it's nice to have Jake Allen there as a backup and him playing well. Uh, but yeah, Bennington getting a, a good win in New York. And uh, we'll see where he goes on from here. And you know, you, you alluded to something at the beginning there, Michael. Again, I'll touch up on it in that teams behind the Blues are really starting to surge. I mean, you know, it seemed like, you know, just about a you know, month or so ago, the Blues were comfortably atop the Western Conference. It felt like that, you know, they were leaving everyone else in the dust. And Colorado has played really well of late in particular. It looks like going down the wire, it's going to be the Blues and the Avalanche going forward. Uh, but one thing that works in the Blues' favor is, uh, you know, the NHL do NHL.com's fantasy hockey department uh, noted the strength of schedule for the uh, rest of the season. They did this on Monday, March 2nd. So this uh, uh, these numbers uh, include the uh, as-yet-to-be-played New York Rangers game at the time this article was written on Monday. But the Blues have 16... Uh, game had 16 games left. They now have 15 and uh, seven home, eight on the road now with 15 left. At the time this article was written on Monday, the Blues had the sixth easiest strength of schedule for the rest of the season. Now, at first, that sounds like okay, 
they got a pretty easy schedule down the road. You know, they can kind of coast from here. Well, wait just a second because the team with the third easiest schedule is the Dallas Stars, who are still within somewhat striking distance of the St. Louis Blues. You, uh, you cannot discount the Stars ever. And then the team with the easiest schedule is the aforementioned Colorado Avalanche. Uh, so you really, if you're the Blues Wags, you cannot rest on your laurels. No, you can't. And the one thing that is going against the Blues on top of that is the fact that they're on the road for eight versus seven at home. And the travel predicament for the next couple of weeks is, is very, very difficult. I mean, you've got uh, a road game in Chicago on Sunday, home against Florida, then a road game in Anaheim, home to San Jose on Friday. There's a lot of you know, travel that's going on in the next two weeks, it's really going to put a strain on the Blues. And then you look at Colorado and Dallas, both of them have 10 home games remaining, at least according to this article at that time. So they have that ability to get a little bit more custom, a little bit more rest because they're at home. They're not traveling as much. And even though Dallas is eight points back right now, they've got a game in hand, Colorado two games in hand with, you know, back three points. It's it's not going to be easy. They, the blues have to continue to press and press and press. Yeah. And it's, it's, and the blues are still, you know, they're in the midst of a, you know, Northeastern little mini road trip right now, having played in New York uh, on Tuesday night. And then on Friday they play in New Jersey. So they're on the road this whole time, still away from home. Then, as you mentioned, they go to Chicago on Sunday, which, you know, of course, Chicago always loves to, you know, win at the Blues' expense, so you can't ever discredit them, especially after that 5-4 to four game that, uh, you know, we talked to Grant about last week. I mean, the, the, the Blackhawks are still dangerous, and they'll still give you a game. But as you mentioned, it's, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a, a, the J-Bomeister makeup game uh, comes, like, smack dab in the middle of a Blues uh, homestand. So that's, that's not something that uh, you really, really budget for. And then just looking even further down the schedule for in, in late March, the Blues still go back out to the East Coast. They're not done. I mean, after New York and New Jersey this week, they go to Philly, they go to Carolina, they go to Florida, and they go to Washington. That is going to be a brutal four-game stretch. Yes, it's against Eastern Conference teams, uh, but the Flyers are looking really good. Money Puck has them as the Stanley Cup favorites right now. The Carolina the Carolina Hurricanes are are fighting for a playoff spot in a very loaded division. Florida is still chasing Toronto, and of course, the Washington Capitals. Need I say more? Yeah, it's it's crazy. I, I'm still getting over the shock that Philadelphia has been installed by some places as a Stanley Cup favorite. It's but, weird, but they did the same thing for the Blues last year around this time as well, and look what happened. Uh, you know, shocking that uh, that they've been playing as well as they have. But they've got good young, a good young goaltender, hmm, Carter Hart, Jordan Bennington. Weird. Mm-hmm. They got a good core group of defensemen, hmm, sort of similar to the Blues, and they yeah. got some guys that can score too. It's it's hmm. very interesting how similar the Flyers are to the Blues. It's almost and, as if the Blues are trendy. Yeah, it's it's weird like that. It's, it is it's very win, weird. You know, when you win, things like that happen. <laughs> well, I mean, as a St. Louis sports fan, of course, I think it's natural to have a little bit of an inferiority complex. You know, when it comes to, you know, the, our standing against the rest of the sports world a little bit, you know, and it's like, you know, of course, being a Blues fan, of course, you know, I always, you know, told my friends, it's like, it's like being a fan of, it's, they're, they're the Cubs of hockey, 
You know, it's like being a fan of the Cubs only on ice, pretty much. And uh, it's it's just it just it, it's still a feeling I'm not quite used to. You know, how, how being a fan of a team that is the top dogs in the West, the team that everyone wants to emulate and copy. I mean, it's just it's just mind blowing. It, it and it's just I don't want this ride to end anytime soon. You know. Oh, I I totally agree. And the crazy thing is is even back in the in the mid '90s, the early 2000s, when they were one of the top teams there every year, year in and year out, even when they won the President's Trophy, people still didn't talk about them because you still had the Red Wings and you still had other teams, Colorado as well at that time, that were model model organizations. Where the Blues at that time weren't model organizations; they were good and they were winning, yeah. but they weren't a model organization. Now you've got that structure, that model of what it really does take to win in this league. And it's just, it's weird being that team that people are talking about. And we're in the Midwest, so we're not East or West Coast. What's going on with that? Well, and, and it's like, and you kind of touched on something there as well, because, you know, you're, we're talking about the St. Louis Blues franchise that in the mid 70s had major financial issues, and Ralston Purina had to save them, you know, from, you know, being liquidated. And then, you know, eight years later, when Purina, whenever Purina got a new, uh, new chief and uh, he decided I don't want to do this hockey thing anymore. The Blues didn't even go to the draft. They you know they they let an entire draft go. They did not pick any players. I think it was 1983 NHL draft. That's the only time this ever ha- happened in hockey history. They nearly folded, they nearly liquidated, they nearly moved to Saskatoon, which I still I I will never get over for the rest of me and apparently every every hockey every Canadian hockey fan or, or fan in Canada, I should say, whenever I make mention that the blues were, you know, might've be, might've gone to Saskatoon in the mid eighties. No one in Canada can understand why anyone would ever want to play in Saskatoon. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it, it, it would be kind of like, you know, why would, why would any baseball player want to play in like Northern Maine? You know, it just, uh, it's just like, it just like, it's middle of nowhere, and Saskatoon is just just wilderness, you know. It's it's it just it's it's as as the song says, you always want to be a little bit south of Saskatoon. So <laughs> let's just let's just let's just face it right there. So this is an organization. My my point being that you know it it's it's suffered from some strife, and it's definitely not for a lot of its lifetime been run like a model organization. Of course, the '90s when you know Mike Shanahan took over. That kind of started to stabilize things a little bit, uh, and then uh, you know here we are now. So um, yeah, it just just getting used to this whole winning thing, and uh, um, sometimes when you're playing really good hockey wags, it's it's hard to when you're doing a hockey podcast, it's hard to come up with topics to talk about, you know, because one thing about sports talk, especially sports talk in St. Louis, it's fueled by angst and it's fueled by you know why why isn't this guy doing better, you know, or you know I mean. We've tried to make Justin Falk our new totem pole for all of our angst, and uh, it's kind of working. But yet, and still, the Blues keep winning. So it's just, it's, it's, it just, it just. I'm still learning how to how to support a winning hockey team, Wags. It's it's weird, and, and really, the most angsty thing we are having to deal with right now is where to put Tarasenko when he comes back. Like that's our who that's our, like our that, that's our main point of like contention is who sits and where does he go and how much does he play and 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 and, 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 how, and how much do you play him in the regular season to say okay he's ready for the playoffs you know where do you put him you know i mean do you put him on the top line right away or do you have him start working up like through the third line 
You know, I mean, that's 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 kind of the biggest question right now surrounding the Blues, you know, because, you know, it's definitely not their on-ice product. They're doing fine there. So um, one, one thing I wanted to talk about before we get into our fun little historical uh, segment here is, uh, you know, the Blues have a knack uh, for finding gems. Um, you know, Sammy Blay was a, a sixth-round pick. Uh, he's actually going to come up in our historical conversation here a little bit. There's a funny little historical antidote that I'm going to drop on you here uh, during our little historical bit here. But the Blues made an interesting signing this week. They have signed defenseman Tyler Tucker uh, to a three-year entry-level deal. And he's expected to uh, play in San Antonio this season, actually, and help them in their uh, uh, Calder Cup run. And uh, he was a seventh-round pick, the 200th overall pick in 2018. Now, why do we give a flying hoot about a seventh-round pick, especially uh, a guy that is just now coming out of juniors? Tucker has been a point-per-game player in the the, uh, OHL this season as a defenseman. Now, of course, the Blues have had – offensive defenseman prospects in the past that kind of petered out. The, the biggest example, I think, would be David Rudenblad, you know, who, of course, later became Vladimir Tarasenko. Um, but the thing that makes Tyler Tucker so interesting to me, Wags, he's six foot one, 205 pounds, and he loves to hit, and he loves to drop the gloves. This guy is just so intriguing to me, Wags. I, I agree, and, and, you know, some of the comps, at least in the Blues, uh, side of things is they compare him to a guy like a, like a, a young Barrett Jackman or, or a current Robert Bortuzzo and coming into the draft. And even after the year or so after the draft, he was really labeled as a defensive defenseman. His offensive skills were not something that people were really looking at. No. The blues, the blues were like, Hey, look, this is what we want you to focus on. And he took it and ran with it. The fact that he's a point per game player this year as a defenseman, yeah. I, it's just, it's unreal. And it just gets you excited. I mean, you talk about late round picks and, you know, Colton Pareko was a third round pick and it's not, that's not a sixth or seventh round, but he was a late draft pick as well. So the scouting department for the blues has really dove deep, at least on the defensive side to find some absolute gems. And we haven't even talked about Scott Perinovich. <laughs> that's no, the other haven't. crazy thing. And, and he might be the most, you know, potentially one of the most coveted free agents you know, if he does not sign a deal with the Blues, which I, I everyone's expecting he will. I don't think we have anything to worry about there. Uh, but but here here's here's Tyler Tucker here. So and it's not even just like a recent development with Tucker. I mean, 2019-20 with the Flint Firebirds, he has nine nine goals, 17 assists for 26 points. Uh, before he he played with Barry, he was traded to Flint midseason. But with Barry, he had eight goals, 21 assists for 29 points. So again, point per game pace. He's played. Uh, he's at twenty nine points with uh, Barry, twenty six with Flint, and uh, add that up as a point per game guy. Now the year before with Barry, 2018-2019, So this would have been the season after the Blues had drafted him. He explodes on the scene with sixty eight games played, fourteen goals, which for a defenseman is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, forty five assists for fifty nine points. Uh, almost a point per game pace, not quite. 105 penalty minutes. So the, uh, the there's that rep of the guy that likes to, you know, lay the wood a little bit and you know put on the foil, if you will. 
Um, but before then, you, you can kind of see in his stats why teams were a little uncertain of him, you know, and maybe uncertain of his offensive abilities. Uh, in his first year with Barry, he played 62 games. He had just one goal and 13 assists, so very pedestrian numbers. Uh, next year, 59 goals, three, uh, 59 games played, rather, three goals, 20 assists for 23 points, so a little better, but you're, nothing's really jumping out to you at that point. And I read up on, t- t- on Tucker on draft day, and a lot of teams were very concerned about its consistency. And, uh, you know, just kind of what player going to get nine in, night in and night out. Well, Blue Scouting identified him as a high-character guy who is going to give it, you know, pretty much every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears that he can. And then the Blues draft him very late in the seventh round, as, as I mentioned. And then he has the big, you know, 14-goal, 59-point year. So just, you know, as you said, Wags, I mean, just credit this Blues scouting for finding another gem. I mean, so much, you know, when you talk about the Blues model success, look at the roster that they have now. They have so many players that are homegrown. And a lot of those players, uh, or at the very least, maybe if they weren't drafted by the Blues, they came up through the system uh, somehow, and they have uh, blossomed in, in, into very solid players. I mean, we see a lot in free agency or the trade deadline spending assets, You know, spending a lot of draft picks to acquire a player at the deadline, throwing a lot of money at free agents that don't quite pan out. Those teams aren't the model that other teams try to emulate. Those teams are trying to catch up to the team's that do things right. And the blues right now are doing things right. They just so much of their roster is homegrown. And that's really attributable to the team's analytics and scouting. Oh, totally agreed. And and the other amazing thing is, is they've been able to identify even, you know, guys, high picks like a Tage Thompson or something like that, that they can project out and be like, Hey, this is not going to work. And they're able to somehow flip that for a guy like a Ryan O'Reilly. But then in this season's trade deadline, they did the complete opposite. They looked at their team and they said, hey, look, the guys that we have here that are coming up, we don't want to part with them. Yeah, we could go out and get a rental. They could have gone out and gotten a Chris Kreider. They could have gone out and gotten somebody else like that and spent that that capital and that stuff that they've gained and grown. But they looked at it and said, look, we have a good feeling about them. They're producing right now. They're in our system. They're learning things down in San Antonio that will continue to make them be a part of this blues organization and they're holding Pat. They just, they've been able to find that magic, you know, thought process and, and statistic, I guess, where it goes, Hey, this is the, this is the mark we want them to hit. This is they're, they're hitting it. We're not going to move on. And then they look at other guys and they say, look, they're not going to be here. They may be a first round pick, but if they're not hitting the numbers that we're wanting them to hit or the mark that we're wanting them to hit, we're going to find a way to move them. And they've been able to do that. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the roster now, and I'm counting at least a dozen players. It's it's more than that that have come up through the blue system, either as original draft picks or getting really lucky and trading you know some unwanted assets for picks. I mean, the biggest example is Jordan Bennington. You know, people forget that Jordan Bennington would not have been drafted by the Blues had the Blues not traded Eric Brewer to Tampa. You know, the the pick that the Blues got for Eric Brewer became Jordan Bennington. Um, Sammy Blay was the result of another trade, which I'll mention in my historical segment here in a little bit. 
Um, Barbashev uh, was another guy. I think he was... I did an episode on this earlier in the season. Uh, but Barber, the pick that became Ivan Barbashev was someone... I, I don't know if it was Brian Elliott... Or I forget who it was, but he was he was a guy that whose pick was acquired via trade just from from discarding an asset that the Blues felt was a surplus to require to requirements. So uh, that's another example of how I mean, and this is all Doug Armstrong here. You know, Doug Armstrong, he just has a knack for you know you know find you know finding those diamonds in the rough. You know, finding that depreciated asset and making the most out of them. I mean, it's just it's it's really remarkable to see and. Uh, that actually kind of leads us into our final segment here, Wags. So we've been teasing it all episode long. Um, it is our uh, Blue Notes March into History this week. And I've I put together a list of 10 players who you will not believe were blues. You know, if you're if you're not a fan of the blues, I mean if you're if you're a fan of the blues, you might you, you probably know most of these guys. But for casual fans, or fans of other teams, it's this is my this guy played for the Blues list of ten players and some honorable mentions. Now you went even deeper because I have I have about ten players and I think I have about five honorable mentions. You found thirty that yeah. just kind of struck you as really interesting. Yeah, I mean, just guys, especially for me growing up. Uh, seeing some of these guys play for other teams. Some of them are name guys that didn't play very long here. Some of them are guys that they played for an extended amount of time. I've even got a couple in my top 10 that played here for a while, but you would yeah. still be like, wait a second, they played for them? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot out there. And, and we talked about this earlier through some messaging that this team, the Blues team, has had a ton of guys that have had short cups of coffee or, or a little bit of extended stays here that you're like, they played for the blues. It's, it's just amazing. The, the list and you could go on and on and on, but I, I got, I narrowed it down to my 10 ish and then I've got 30 total, but uh, yeah, we can, we can run down and see what we got. Absolutely. And of course we want to thank our sponsors for making this segment possible. First of all, rally house uh, rally house, of course is uh, your number one place to go around St. Louis for blues Cardinals gear, uh, anything St. Louis sports, they have it, and uh, we have a, a special link for you at Blue Notes Pod for uh, for specials with Rally House. Of course, you can order online and pick up at your nearest uh, store. So, I want to thank them for uh, being aboard on Blue Notes, and of course, we have our uh, contest going on now with uh, Cool Hockey and Tankathon, where uh, you can go to tankathon dot com slash NHL right now, and you can run a draft lottery simulator to determine the top 15 picks of the NHL draft coming up here. And if you screenshot your favorite uh, top 15 and then you share it with us and it ends up being 15 out of 15, you'll win a $200 cool hockey gift card. So uh, you have until the beginning of April to uh, get your picks in. Uh, We encourage you to, uh, first of all, follow uh, the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. Follow Cool Hockey at Cool Hockey and Tankathon at Tankathon. And then send us your screenshots of your uh, projected top 15 from tankathon.com. And again, you could win a $200 Cool Hockey gift card. So uh, now that we uh, have thanked the people that have making this segment possible, let's go ahead and get into our Blue Notes March into History. 
Berenson knocks it by Van Imp and has a break. Berenson right in, he shoots, he scores! Berenson! A great goal again by the Redhead. All right, this guy played for the Blues. Ten guys I have accumulated. Ten, ten guys that Wags has accumulated here. And I've always wanted to do this, just be just just if nothing else, to throw all these players out there and talk about their less than memorable ten years with the St. Louis Blues. Although some had some memorable stints. I mean, including who I suspect would probably be our number one. Um, but uh, first of all, uh, some honorable mentions, just to kind of give you an idea of what type of players we are talking about here. We're talking about players that uh, have are either in the Hall of Fame or were very memorable players, you know, in one way or another for uh, hockey fans that may have gone on to bigger fame elsewhere, but made stops in St. Louis here. And just to kind of give you an idea of some players that did not make the cut, uh, there is Dickie Moore. Dickie Moore was a uh, Montreal Canadiens legend a Hall of Famer, and he had a cup of coffee with the St. Louis Blues during their, I think it was their second season in the NHL, and uh, didn't really do much of notes, and he's kind of an obscure name, like, like a lot of player, a lot of fans probably wouldn't know who he is, so that's why he's not on the list, but he is a Hall of Famer, so uh, look him up there. Um, Wade Redden almost made my list, very close. Um, but his he's more notable for being the next great defenseman in Ottawa. It was him or Zdeno Chara. Ottawa infamously chose Redden. That didn't work. Um, and then he signs that big contract in New York. And he, he goes to the Blues, and he's okay. I mean, he, he wasn't bad by any means, but he was, he was just kind of a depth guy. And then he is shipped off to Boston, for a conditional 2014th uh, late-round pick. That pick, Wags, became a sixth-round pick, and that pick is now playing on the St. Louis Blues today. You may know him. His name is Sammy Blay. That's uh, that's pretty good work there for turning in Wade Redden into Sammy Blay. I, I, I like that. A, a one-year, $800,000 dumpster dive you know, after Redden had been, you know, literally thrown in the trash by New York, the Rangers uh, become Sammy Blay. That's again the genius of, of Doug Armstrong. Uh, other guys on my um, that made my honorable mentions: uh, Jason Arnott, uh, definitely a guy that made his uh, fame elsewhere. Uh, he played at the same time as Jamie Langenbrunner, who a lot of people remember from uh, Dallas and uh, New Jersey. Uh, Daryl Sador, former Dallas guy. Brandon Morrow former Dallas guy. You're seeing all these guys, hmm. by the way, they came around during the Ken Hitchcock era. Hmm. Interesting. How peculiar. <laughs> and then who can forget? Well, I think everyone can. Valerie Burray. <laughs> Valerie Burray. You can forget about Valerie Burray because I think he played two games and then he got hurt and he cost the blues, Mike Van Ryn at the uh, trade deadline. So not one that worked out very well, but that's my mm -hmm. honorable mentions. Who do you got, Wags? Uh, a couple of guys I got on there, uh, some with short stints. Uh, Tom Barrasso played for the Blues for six games. I forgot about that. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's uh, Shane Corson. Uh, 88 games played over two seasons. He was there in that late, that late 90s, early 2000s. Ross, but it's a guy that you're thinking, 
uh, Shane Course, I remember him, Edmonton, that sort of thing. Uh, and, we talked, and, and Corson, a guy that you know I liked just simply because he became Pierre Turgeon. Yes, you know, he the, did. And Turgeon was one of my favorites in the late '90s. Side note: I actually waited on him at my first job at a movie theater. Him and his family came in and ordered concessions from me. Really? Yes. He spoke in French to his family and English to me. It was pretty. It was pretty awesome. cool. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I also. Hope okay. he wasn't calling you a jerk in French. So. Uh, I don't think so. I was 16, so I hope I wasn't a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 16-year-olds can be dicks. <laughs> that, that is true. I, I, also I, had, I was 16 once. I also had Langenbrunner on my list. Uh, Craig McTavish was on my okay. list. Uh, Stefan Mateau came Ste- around about the same time Mike Keenan was here. Or as I called him when I was nine years old, step on my toe. I think everybody did. Yeah. I, I remember that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a guy that spent a lot of time here but you still don't think, and it's another Stars connection, Joey Mullen was yeah. on my list. He, he didn't make the cut. Peter Nedved was also on there. Mullen uh, and, also a Hall of Famer, by the way. Yes, and uh, and Esetikinen. Esetikinen was another guy that, that didn't make my list. But like I said, I had 30 guys, so I had plenty to choose from. <laughs> well, and, and funny, I think, wasn't Nedved traded for Tikkanen, or was I it? I think he was, yeah. yes. Yeah, so there you go. Tikkanen. And by, and by the time he was with, with the Blues, he was a fossil. Oh, much so, yeah. Definitely. But definitely one of those Edmonton Oilers glory years guys that Keenan seemed to... You know, he really wanted to like put the band back together, although that you know that wasn't his team. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, Grant, I mean, Grant Fuhr, uh, uh, McTavish, uh, f- just a few of those guys. I mean, it was, it was eerie. Um, but all right, top 10 list. Ready to go? I'm ready. All right, we're going to go from 10 to 1. And then uh, we'll just alternate picks here. So my number 10 is Craig McTavish. Oh, there we go. Uh, Craig McTavish, uh, he was really notable for me just because, of course, he is the last guy that was allowed to play without a helmet. He had his beautiful fro, you know, on display every game that he was with the Blue Notes. Uh, his time with the Blues, he played 73 total games, split among two seasons. He had eight points as a forward, but of course he was uh, more known as a defensive forward during his time in Edmonton. Um, also, he started his career in Boston. Definitely a guy that made his bones elsewhere, and of course now he is a uh, uh, head coach. And he was actually acquired by the Blues on March 15, 1996. For a guy that also made my list, but he is a little further down. So we'll get to that at that point. Who's your 10? Uh, so I kind of cheated right off the bat, and I, I got two guys slotted in at number 10, and mainly because they, they kind of share a connection as far as getting into uh, coaching and things like that. Uh, Glenn Sather and Elaine Vino. Okay. I, I mean, Elaine Vino is one of those guys that they always talk about on the broadcast as being a former blue and, and they, they wanted him to come back and coach and, and yada, yada, yada. But the one guy that I didn't, I did not know that Glenn Sather played for the blues. I didn't either. Actually that, that that's news to me. It's, it's incredible. Almost the full season's worth 15 goals, 29 assists. Uh, Vigno only had seven points in his stint with the blues, but it was just one of those names that stuck out that I was like, huh, it, the perfect yeah. for the segment did not know <laughs> he played for the blues. Go figure. And of course, Vigno was a guy that when, the Blues uh, uh, fired uh, uh, Mike Yo last year. Vino is probably towards the top of the list for the Blues in terms of you know free agent coaches. Of course, everyone wanted to coach Q, but then this Ruby guy turned out to be okay. Go figure. Yeah, I like that pick. Yeah, I like that pick. Uh, it's funny you mentioned former coaches, uh, or or uh, actually, well, now he's a former coach, but he's a modern NHL coach. Um, 
he kind of ties into my number nine. And my number nine is Guy Carboneau. Guy Carboneau, of course, I should say Hall of Famer Guy Carboneau. And I say that with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek because he's definitely, in my opinion, a borderline case. Uh, it was a, he was a good player, don't get me wrong, but Hall of Fame? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, but uh, he uh, played a lot of his career in Montreal, played over 10 years for the Canadians, uh, went to the uh, St. Louis Blues in uh, August 19th, 1994. He was traded to the St. Louis Blues for a guy who just lost his coaching job this year in the NHL. Can you guess the guess the player? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. I'm trying to think of who was fired already this year. Okay, I'll 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 save us some time. Jim Montgomery. Huh. Jim Montgomery was a St. Louis Blue. Yes, the uh, now former Dallas coach. Um by the way, in case you're wondering, of course Jim Montgomery was nowhere near being a top 10 for me, but uh he actually he played 122 games in the NHL total. Uh, he had a very short career. Was kind of an up and down between the minors and the, and the pros. But the one season where he played more than 28 games was in St. Louis. 1993-1994, uh, uh, Jim Montgomery played 67 games, 6 goals, 14 assists for 20 points, and a minus 1. He was a center. And then, of course, as I mentioned got traded for Guy Carboneau. And Guy Carboneau is a guy that, again, he's a Hall of Famer, more famous for his runs in Montreal and Dallas, but it's very easy to forget his time in St. Louis because he only played 42 games in St. Louis in 94-95, five goals, 11 assists for 16 points. But, of course, uh, Carboneau was a perennial Selkie uh, contender. And then uh, Carboneau ended up leaving St. Louis in the offseason in a Pretty bad trade, in my opinion. Uh, traded to Dallas for Paul Broughton. Ooh. Uh, Neil, I guess that was Neil Broughton's brother, and uh, I, he did nothing of note. I, not to, you know, I, I don't even, yeah, all I know is Neil, not Paul. Yeah, they, they all can't be winners. <laughs> nope. So uh, who's your number nine? Uh, kind of keeping with the coaching theme uh, and, and really kind of adding into the Olympic theme as well, uh, Mark Johnson played for the blues yeah 1980 they, olympian yes yes he did yeah i played uh one season with the blues in 84 85 just well i made it into 17 games four goals six assists now the wisconsin badgers women's head coach uh so yeah another one of those guys that it was a very short stint very notable name in between playing hartford and, and the devils uh he spent a little time in st louis so uh, having an olympic olympic gold medalist on the team really kind of jumps up to on my list yeah, absolutely, and uh, he's one of those guys. When I think back to that era, uh, there I think I always think of him, and I think of another guy who uh, was a little bit famous that played for the Blues for a short time, Jack Carlson, one of the Carlson brothers from uh, one of the Hanson brothers, rather from uh, the movie Slapshot. Now he was not actually in Slapshot; he was going to be in the movie. Uh, with his two other brothers who uh, were in movie, but uh, he had to go uh, play hockey in the NHL. Go figure. So uh, uh, I think it was with the I think it was with the Minnesota Stars at the time the uh, Slapshot was uh, filmed. But right around uh, I think around the time that Slapshot actually came out, he was a Blue in the late seventies. So uh, yes, the the Blues technically had a Hanson brother nice. in the late seventies. Honorable mention. We'll, we'll there go you with go. that. So. 
Uh, moving on to number eight. Yeah, that's where we're at right now. Yes. Uh, kind of sticking, we were talking about how Mike Keenan just loved former Edmonton Oilers. Here's one for you. Hall of Famer Glenn Anderson. Glenn Anderson had a career spanning 1,129 games. He had uh, 1,099 points. He was an all-around you know, point producer. He could score. He could dish the puck. He was a, a considered kind of a power forward at the time, a uh, guy that liked to throw the body a little bit. Uh, he, of course, famous for his time in Edmonton during the uh, glory years, was definitely a part of the, you know, the Gretzky, the Messier, the Curry, you know, the that core. He was definitely a core player for Edmonton at the time. He becomes a St. Louis Blue for the 1994-95 season. This was an era where the Blues seem to be collecting all sorts of interesting NHLers. He was uh, he was signed as actually a free agent uh, in the February 13th, 1995. And uh, he had an okay time in St. Louis, I thought. I mean, he was definitely um, older at this point. He was uh, 34 years old at the time. Uh, he had, uh, I think he had actually... He started the year jobless, and I think the Blues picked him up. You know, he was thinking about retirement, but they picked him up, and he played 36 games with the Blues, was actually a pretty valuable contributor down the stretch. 12 goals, 14 assists for 26 points in 36 games. Not too bad. And then Anderson would actually leave in the offseason. He was just picked up as a uh, filler type, signed as a free agent by Vancouver, and then the Canucks waived him three days later, and then Edmonton claimed him. So he goes back home on January 25th, and then not even a month and a half later, the Blues claim him back on waivers. Ah. So he <laughs> he comes back for his second tour of duty for the St. Louis Blues in 95-96. Um, this one is definitely the more forgettable of the two. 15 games played, just four points, and a minus 11. And I think at that point he decided enough was enough, and he retired as a St. Louis Blues. So Glenn Anderson, Hall of Famer, a blue you forgot about in uh, the mid-90s. My brother actually has a plaque of Glenn Anderson and uh, as a blue, as like one of the first purchases he made. <laughs> That's got to be rare because I can imagine there was a lot of Glenn Anderson blues memorabilia back then. Not much, not much. No. <laughs> uh, for uh, for my number eight, uh, it's going to be, we talked earlier about the Blues not having any draft. I didn't draft anybody in the 83 draft. My guy at number eight was a guy that was drafted in 1984. Seventh round pick, played four years with the Blues. Okay. Most memorable for his time in Vancouver, Okay. Mr. Cliff Ronnie. Oh, man. This one hurts. <laughs> this one hurts because the trade that sent him to Vancouver was so bad. Oh, my God. It was so atrocious. Uh, he wasn't in my top 10. He should. He probably should have been, honestly. Um, but, yeah, it was like it was running uh, Sergio Mameso, who actually had a second tour of duty like Anderson in St. Louis later on, and Jeff Courtnall who also came back for a second tour. Uh, and then the Blues, I think the big prize was Dan Quinn. Yep, Dan Quinn and Garth Butcher. Dan Quinn, that's right. Who can forget Garth Butcher, the the the, the Crow mag himself? <laughs> um, God, I love Butcher. Uh, but yeah, Dan Quinn, was a, he, he was a guy that was supposed to be the next great thing. He wasn't, and he was also had a reputation for being kind of an asshole. 
which is kind of why he was a journeyman. He yeah, just, most definitely. No one, no one liked playing with him. But no. anyway, yeah, yeah, Cliff. Yeah, tell us about Cliff in, in St. Louis. That just, oh, yeah, he spent four years here. Uh, he ended up having uh, you know fifty four goals, seventy one assists. It was one of those guys that he made his name in Vancouver, but he started here and they, they made a, a Stanley Cup final appearance with Vancouver against New York in '94. He never got that elusive Cup victory. Uh, but his career was very, very good. He spent time in, uh, you know, in Vancouver, like we said. He played in Phoenix, Nashville, the Kings, and spent some time in Minnesota and with the Islanders. He actually played 80 games in 2002-2003 with Minnesota at 37 years old. Whew. Incredible. 17 goals and 31 assists that year, too. So he, he, didn't, he didn't go quietly into that good night. But uh, he, had, he had a good stint with the Blues early in his career, but it's something you forget about because he ended up having so much success in Vancouver. He was a great player, a guy that I think still gets a little underrated in history. Uh, even when he was in Vancouver, he was considered too small. And, uh, you, know, he, you know, guys like him and like Theo Fleury, you know, proven that it's not, the, it's not how big you are, it's, 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 it's how good you are. And Ronning was was definitely a good one, man. That was, ugh, but that trade that sent him to Vancouver was just, oh. I think we might have some more of those coming up. So just so you know. Oh boy, let me <laughs> let, let, let me grab the Pepto. Uh, yeah, that, that's one thing with the Blues, by the way. You know that I've talked about in this podcast. You know, besides some of the these crazy names that actually wore the blue note, um, man, they, they, there's been some interesting trade history with the Blues. Some really good, and some really bad. And I have a feel I I, th- I can think of at least one or two guys coming up that uh, for you that uh, I can I can name off the top of my head here as yep. far as bad trades. So, um, my number seven is a guy. When I say his name, you're not gonna think of hockey. Um, he's he's one of the two guys on my list that's not a Hall of Famer. The other one was McTavish. He is a former Vesna winner. And by the time he was 25 years old, he was out of hockey entirely. I am talking about Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. You, this is this is one I had to kind of really dig for here. Uh, Jim Carrey was drafted by the Washington Capitals in the second round of the 1992 NHL draft. In his age 20 season, he uh, gets called up by the Capitals, who... Um, let, let's call them up and down during the 90s. Uh, he played 28 games for them in 94-95. He had a 213 goals against and a 913 save percentage. Now, if that's today, that's very good. In the 90s, that's incredible. You know, the 90s was definitely more of a live puck. You had goals against averages more towards three. You know, was considered a baseline good goaltender. Uh, so Kerry, he made an impression early on. He was a uh, he was the runner-up in the Calder Trophy running. He was third in the Vesna in just 28 games. This guy was Jordan Bennington before Jordan Bennington, which I realize now I just cast an ominous shadow on Jordan oh, Bennington. Boy. I apologize for that. <laughs> but the next season in 95-96 is a 21-year-old. Okay, let's let's call him Carter Hart. Um, 21-year-old, 71 games played. He has a 226 goals against average, nine shutouts, a 906 save percentage. He is an all-star. He is eighth in the Hart Trophy running. The Hart for the best player in hockey. And he wins the Vesna as a 21-year-old. Now, from here, 
Um, Washington decides to cash in on him. He is traded to Boston March 1st, 1997 with Anson Carter, Jason Allison, and a third-round pick for Bill Ranford, Adam Oates, and Rick Tockett. Big trade there, and Carey was a big part of that. In Boston, he completely collapses as a player. In fact, actually, in the in the half season before he was traded to Boston, the signs of him starting to collapse as a player were already there. 40 games played, 275 goals against, and an 893 save percentage, starting to go south a little bit. In Boston, his numbers, his goals against average goes up to almost four. The next season, he, has, he only plays 10 games, uh, 290 goals against average, and an 893 save percentage. So Boston has had enough of him. He's, he's, he's one of those classic cases of a guy where you just wondered where his head was at. And he's he and I think they had they wrote an article about him about ten years after he retired, kind of talking about how he just lost his love for the game and just completely collapsed. But before he retired as a player, the Blues picked up Jim Carrey. Um, the date was March first, nineteen ninety nine. He was signed as a free agent by the St. Louis Blues. Or again, former Vesna, second Calder, eighth in the heart running. Uh, phenom, not the Jim Carrey in the movies. He plays a whopping four games with the St. Louis Blues, pitches a one and two win loss record, a 387 goals against average, and an 829% save percentage. At the end of the year, he just disappears. Yikes. That is a story of Jim Carrey. He is one of the most fascinating, you know, what could have been in hockey history. Because he was a great, he was a phenom, and he just poof, just gone. So that's that's number seven, the uh, the immortal Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that trade too. That was one of the the first big time trades I remember. And yeah. uh, knowing that he kind of blew up after that is is incredible. Yeah, it really is. Uh, so who's your number seven? Uh, my number seven is a uh, cup winner, two time Selkie winner. Uh, a guy that was an original first round pick by the St. Louis Blues, spent two years with the Blues before going on to an illustrious career with the Flyers and the Hurricanes, and another bad trade, Rod Brendamore. Oh, Rod Brendamore, no! I told you, I told you. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I I, I actually had the um, uh, Zach Tompkins from the Siren Sounder podcast on recently. Uh, He does the... Hurricane pod, uh, Hurricanes podcast for the Hockey Podcast Network, and hearing him talk about how great of a leader that Rod Brendamore is, and I'm just thinking here, like, God, he started with the Blues. Why didn't we keep him? Uh, unreal. And, and here's where it gets worse. They traded uh, him and the aforementioned Dan Quinn to the yeah. Flyers for Ron Sutter and Murray Barron back on September 22nd, 1991. So you're talking about a couple of bad trades involving Dan Quinn. One brought him here and one sent him away, and both of them got rid of guys that we liked. Not only that, but it is uh, two trades involving Dan Quinn, a future legendary center, and in exchange, the Blues get a rugged defenseman and a overrated center. Weird. It's almost like they didn't know what they were doing at that time. Also, that was I, I remember Ron Sutter when he came to St. Louis very well because for a while I swear the Blues had a Sutter fetish. 
Oh, yeah, I think at one point they had three or four of them on the team at once, well, whether course, they were behind the bench or, or on the ice. Well, of course, Brian was great, you know, and, you know, his his number hangs up in the rafters. But, yeah, I think at one point they had three, you know, in, in the early 90s. Uh, just And they neither of them were any particularly great. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Well, Brenda Moore ended up having uh, decent success in his time with the Blues, uh, somewhere around the range of about 110 points in his career with the Blues before being traded to Philadelphia. And then obviously went on to have a long career at the Flyers, nine years, 10 years in Carolina, Stanley Cup victory in 2006. So another one of those what could have beens. And for the longest time, the Blues were so, you know, lackluster up the middle. And you talk about two centers that are gone. And now, thankfully, we've got centers, and it looks like it's going to work out pretty well for us. Not only that, but there's a third center that could have still been around that I have a feeling you might be mentioning uh, uh, later on. Possibly. Possibly. I think, I think you know who, to, you know, a certain guy and a babysitter that kind of, you know, punched his ticket out of St. Louis. I do not have him on the list. You do not have this guy. It's okay. Doug I Gilmore. So. I was talking yep. about Doug Gilmore. Yeah. I can I, I can devote a whole episode to Doug Gilmore, but I'm yeah. I'm I'm gonna move on. Um, not only not only that, if I go any if we go too much longer, uh, Isha Jerome, our uh, co-founder, is gonna yell at me. So uh, number six, while we're sticking with the whole you know hockey royalty family theme here, Hall of Famer, 1980-81 Calder winner, career that spanned 977 games. 1,239 points, Quebec Nordiques legend, Peter Stastny. He's number six on the list. He is a guy that is interesting for a couple reasons. Number one, he's great. Number two, uh, he came to the Blues when he was 37 years old. He was definitely in the twilight of his career uh, picked up as a free agent in 1994. This was 1994 was a really big year for the Blues, and 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 seemed like seemed like they were obsessed with acquiring old fossils that year. That you know players that went on to greatness elsewhere, and just trying to eat, just squeeze out those last little drops of uh, of ability. Um, Peter Stastny was a guy that uh, his run with the Blues was not memorable at all. Uh, 93-94, he had uh, 17 games played. He played down the stretch in 94. Five goals, 11 assists for 16 points. And then he comes back for his age 38 year in 94-95. Uh, six games played, just one goal, one assist for two points. And at that point, he decides enough is enough. He's too old for this shit. And he hangs him up. <laughs> so, uh, But the funny thing about Peter Stastny, and we were kind of talking about this before we recorded, Peter Stastny stayed in St. Louis. It's it's the crazy thing because, of course, Paul Stastny was born in St. Louis and raised in St. Louis. And, you know, you look at this guy who played 737 games with Quebec. He plays 23 with St. Louis, and he picks the latter to be his home. <laughs> Just mind, mind-boggling, but... You kind of talked about that. Some players, some players, when they come to St. Louis, they just love it here and they stay here. Yeah, they do. And, and you saw that as evidenced by you know the seven draft picks from St. Louis a couple of years ago. Some of those are guys, former players. You know, talk about the Kachucks, those sorts of things. McKinnis, these guys that, yeah, they have parts in the organization, but there are even players that don't have an, a part of the organization anymore that stuck around. And now their kids are growing up here uh, and being a part of everything. So it's it's an incredible place and, and it's amazing what the impact of even just a short amount of time does. 
Absolutely. So who do you got for number six? Uh, number six, I'm going to, I'm going to reverse the trend on the bad trades. Ooh, Alrighty. So number, number six, we've got Phil Housley. Okay. Phil Housley came to the blues for Nelson Emerson and Stefan Quintal in uh, September 24th of 1993. Didn't mm-hmm. really make too much of an impact that season, but it was got, the following year. Yeah, he got hurt, if I recall. He did. And it was the following year that really his impact on the Blues was really felt. Because on <laughs> July 4th, happy 4th of July of 1994. Let freedom ring. Let the white doves sing. <laughs> Phil Housley and two second-round picks were traded to the Calgary Flames for one Al McInnes. The man. I mean, that my, right there solidifies sec- him. My second favorite Blue of all time behind Brett Hall. Yes, Al agreed. Chopper. I, I, it was such a joy when I got to meet him at the uh, NHL All-Star Game festivities. I actually got to go one-on-one with him for a few minutes. Oh, nice. He is just the he's just the most down-to-earth, you know, playing in a good way. You know, just he just he's just he's just a guy, but yet he's he, he's a sweet he's a sweetheart of a guy, and uh, he's just super friendly. And uh, uh, I, I love watching him on the ice. Just that big slapper of his. Uh, Phil Housley, I don't remember at all. Uh, <laughs> but I um, what, did correct me if I'm wrong. Did Phil Housley come back, or was what was? Am I thinking of? I think of Steve Duchesne. Never mind. Yeah, Duchesne. Yeah, he only. You know, Housley was only here 26 games, uh, and then he went to Calgary, played a year for the Devils. Washington went back to Calgary, went yeah. to Chicago, and wrapped up with a game against with Toronto. So yeah, I mean, but right. not a memorable time here, but led to probably one of the greatest stretches of defensive play between him, between McKinnis and Pronger. So you, you got to have him on the list. And definitely, you know, in, in one area the Blues immediately improved on when they traded Housley for McGinnis was Housley was a swinging saloon door on defense. I mean, he the guy was just not – he was definitely your offensive defenseman back then, your Paul Coffey type. Yes. Um. So speaking of uh, all-time great defensemen, uh, number five here is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, uh, kind of talking about how the Blues like to pick up uh, Montreal Canadian legends, kind of in their twilight. I mentioned Dickie Moore earlier on. I have one more right after this, but for number five, I'm going with uh, 844 games played, 622 points, a six-time Stanley Cup winner, and as I mentioned, a Hall of Famer, Gila Point. Gila Point played his. Almost his entire career with Montreal, he played over uh, 10 years with Montreal, was there for the glory years in the 70s, uh, which you can read about in uh, Ken Dryden's biography, uh, which is really good, by the way, if you get a chance to read it. Uh, Guy Lapointe ended up on the St. Louis Blues. At the time he arrived, uh, he was uh, 33 years old. He was a mid-season uh, acquisition for the Blues, March 9th, 1982. Uh, he was acquired for the St. Louis Blues second round choice in the 1983 entry draft. That player was Sergio Mameso. Huh. Uh, small world after all. Yeah. A guy, uh, he, he, a guy who started his career in Montreal when he was very young, by the way. Then he got traded to the Blues. And then he got traded to Vancouver in that horrible running deal. And then he ended up back in St. Louis for a second stint in the 90s during the Keenan era. So, um, again, just, you know, back and forth, back and forth we go. Uh, LaPointe uh, was a, uh, again, this was a guy that played 777 games in Montreal, had 572 points, legend, Hall of Famer. With the Blues, he only played uh, 62 games. 
he had uh, between two seasons, he had 32 points and he was pretty much done. He played one more year at Boston and then he retired. But uh, one, another one of those legends that um, the Blues tried to squeeze the last bit of talent out of and just couldn't quite do it. Gila Point. All righty. Well, my number five and number four were guys you've already mentioned. So I'll gloss through those real quick. At five, I had Guy Carboneau. Okay. Uh, and then at four, I had Peter Stastny. So okay. two guys that, you know, both on our list, mine were a little bit higher, uh, more so because they played less games for us. So it would seem like there would be a little bit more obscure people that may not know that those guys played here. So five was Carboneau for me and four was Stastny. Okay. Uh, my number four, sticking with the former Montreal legend theme here, a guy that you may not know about, I think you might, um, but a lot of fans don't know about, but he was an all-time great. He's a Hall of Famer, a six-time Cup winner with Montreal, 11-time All-Star, seven-time Norris winner. Um, he was Bobby Orr before Bobby Orr. His name was Doug Harvey. Doug Harvey played 1,113 1, uh, games with the Blue uh, in the, his career, uh, 540 points, but he was a really good defensive defenseman. Played all but just a couple years of his career in Montreal. Stop me if you'd heard that before. <laughs> uh, he actually retired. Uh, he he retired in 1964 after a couple years in uh, with the Rangers. Gets picked up in 1966 by the Detroit Red Wings for a couple games. Retires again, and then the Blues decide to pick him up to help them in a uh, Stanley Cup run uh, that year. Uh, he was signed by the St. Louis Blues uh, in June of 1967, and he was also at the same time, I don't know how he did this, I guess this was after he retired maybe, he was named a playing coach of the Kansas City uh, minor league hockey team in the, the old CPHL, the old affiliate for the Blues. Um but while he was while he was a blue, he actually did play a full season or most of it. Seventy games played, two goals, twenty assists for twenty-two points, and he was a plus eleven. And then, as I mentioned, he retired. But ask any old-time hockey fan about Doug Harvey, and they will tell you that he is—you can almost put him on a Mount Rushmore of hockey defensemen. He's that he was that good. Yeah, you know, and, for for his time. And he's one of those guys that if you follow Blues history, um, like I have. He is one of the most prominent names for when they went on their on their cup runs early yeah. in the season. I mean, in their 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 start is he was one of the foundations, and that's what the Blues organization did. They wanted to go out there and get legends and guys that you know would bring fans to the arena. Yep. You know, you talk Glenn Hall and Jacques Plant and Doug Harvey and, and guys like that. Dicky Moore, uh, Red Berenson. Exactly. Guys that, you know, like you said before, maybe trying to squeeze the last little bit of talent out of them. But people are going to come in and see him. And the Blues were able to get some stuff out of these guys, including Harvey. And that's what led to those three straight runs. Yeah. Speaking of three straight here, we got our top three here. Uh, number three, I'll let you go first on this one. This might be quick because I have a feeling we might have at least two of the same ones here. Maybe all three. I think two, at least two out of three. For me, number three is Scott Stevens. Uh, he's a He's a guy that you know probably you know played for the blues but he was only here for one year and really the main reason that you know that he played for the blues was because of the the whole devils shanahan fiasco the loss of draft picks all of that as well but it's still hard for me to even picture scott stevens in a blues uniform 
even to this day, knowing he played one year with us, I still can't picture it. And it, it just sits there. It makes me think what could have been if you would have had a Scott Stevens on this blues team in the midnight, early to mid nineties and what he could have done to protect Brett Hall and Adam Oates and, and just the guys around him. It, it just, it, it blows my mind. And that was, that's what pisses me off about the NHL back then was what happened. But yeah, you know, it is what it is. And, and it, it was amazing to see what his career became. Cause it was Scott Stevens and all those first rounders too. I yeah. mean, you know, as penalty for, you know, tampering with Brendan Shanahan. Um, he was actually not in my top three only because I feel that if you're a blues fan, they, you know, that saga, you know, so, but it's, but you're right. He was only a blue for a year. So yeah, that's, that's definitely a, what could have been for sure. Um, my number three is, let me pull up his uh, profile here. Hall of Famer, uh, Calder winner. He put up 1,409 points in his career in almost 1,200 games played. He is a legend in Winnipeg. He also had some good years in Buffalo. And uh, he is Dale Howardchuck. I cannot, I still cannot believe to this day that the St. Louis Blues had Dale Howardchuck. And his run in St. Louis was very unmemorable, except for one incident. It's an incident I, I've talked about a couple times before. I'll, I'll say it again just because I hate Mike Keenan with a passion. Um, but Dale Howard Chuck was signed as a free agent uh, for the 95-96 season. He was 32 years old at this time. It come off some pretty good years with uh, Buffalo, actually. Uh, 66 games played, 13 goals, 28 assists for 41 points. Very pedestrian numbers. Um, the Dale Howard Chuck story that always kills me is... The Blues are in Buffalo, and Dale Howard Chuck, his grandmother was dying, and like he was, she was like deathly ill, and she lived in Toronto, and she was gonna come to Buffalo to watch her uh, grandkid Dale Howard Chuck play in person for one of the last times that she could. So knowing this, Mike Keenan healthy scratches Dale Howard Chuck. Dale Howard Chuck was a healthy scratch by Mike Keenan when his grandmother was going to go see him play while she was dying. And needless to say, that ended the Howard Chuck era in St. Louis because not long after that, he was traded to Philadelphia for Craig McTavish. So, but uh, God, that just, isn't that just quintessential Mike Keenan? It is. And I I hate him even more now. He's, he is just a, he was just a raging asshole. Yes. And, and, you know, no one, and I'm, and it always pleases me when I find that he's, you know, head coaching like Kun Loon in China or some obscure team and he can't hold a job there. It just, it just it always puts to me, it puts me, a, puts a smile on my face when he goes back on the unemployment line. Love it. But regardless, number two, who do you got? Uh, I think we're probably going to be on the same page here. Uh, goaltender played for the Devils for a very long time. You may have Was- heard of him. I think you've heard of him, uh, Mr. Martin Brodeur. Martin Brodeur, yes, that infamous that infamous stint with the St. Louis Blues in 2014-2015. Uh, and, and he was a guy that uh, I actually was clamoring for back when they made the Ryan Miller trade. Um, yeah, I would have actually preferred Brodeur over Miller at that point in time who if they would have been able to make. Well, looking back, especially uh, who wouldn't have? But uh, he's a guy that it, it always looked odd to see him in the Blues uniform. Um, and even though he had the short stint with us, he, it was another one of those where an impact was made because 
he stuck around and got into management with the Blues. And, and man, part of that was because there wasn't a spot for him with the Devils just at that time. But the fact that that organization made that much of an impact on him so quickly that he stuck around, got into management, even got up as high as the assistant general management you know, sort of position. Um, you could have seen him sticking around with the Blues for a long time if Lou Lamarillo wouldn't have left New Jersey, I think. And yeah. I honestly think that, that Broder is in line to be the next general manager in New Jersey probably as early as next season. Yeah, that's that. That's uh, he. Uh, he. That's an incredible story. Him even being a blue in the first place. I mean, because he was let go by the Devils. You know, I mean, it's hard to imagine the Devils cutting Martin Brodeur, but he was clearly at the you know end of his of his run. Uh, yeah, and he just played seven games with the Blues, so two eighty seven goals against and an eight ninety nine save percentage was very, very pedestrian. Um, you know, and of course he. Uh, he was a prideful guy. He wanted more playing time than he was, you know, getting. And uh, uh, now he's uh, embarking on a great career as a, uh, a future GM and a uh, enterprise rent-a-car uh, spokesman. <laughs> and, and what he did for, for Jake Allen and for Jordan Binning to an extent when he was here, I think really shouldn't be overlooked. What he brought to them in their games is probably – what allowed them to go on the runs that they have been and, and to win the Stanley Cup. If, if Broder wouldn't have been here even for that short amount of time, I don't think the Blues would be where they're at right now. Yeah, absolutely. Funny Broder's story, you know, with the Blues, you know, there was, I think this might be a tall tale because I haven't been really able to find too much evidence online of this actually happening. But I remember reading a few years back about, take it back to 1995. And Curtis Joseph is gone. He was the Blues goaltender in the early '90s. He he, you know, one of many guys that Keenan just basically ran out of town. Uh, so the Blues are needed are in need of a goaltender. Now they eventually end up with Grant Fuhrer, who was a journeyman at that time, and you know we know how well Fuhrer played with the Blues. But I remember reading that this was also an off season where Martin Brodeur was a restricted free agent. And the, the, the story that I read, and again, I, I can't find a lot of evidence on this online, so this may be a tall tale. But you remember we were talking about Scott Stevens and those first-round picks that the Blues lost? Um, you remember in 96, the Blues did have a first-round pick? They picked Marty Reasoner? Yep. They acquired that pick in a trade. And the, the, the rumor, and I'm going I'm to call it a rumor at this point, the rumor was they acquired that pick... So they can send it to New Jersey and offer sheet Martin Brodeur. Imagine Martin Brodeur in his prime as a member of the St. Louis Blues. Wow, that would have been, yeah. We, we would have won a Stanley Cup before then, most definitely. Uh, and, wow. And, 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 the, and the, the end of the, that story, the reason Brodeur did not become a Blue, I think the NHL ruled that the first-round pick had to be like the Blues' own. You know, they had to have earned – it was like had to have been their pick, not like traded. Yeah, that it, probably it makes was, sense. It was, it, was kind of, it was kind of like during that period, as I said, you know, where the NHL seemed to be punishing the Blues for, you know, Ron Caron's, you know, wacky, you know, wizardry as a GM. Um, so that, that's another podcast episode we can do one day, Ron yes. Caron. Um, what, a, what a legend. And then speaking of legends, our number one – I'm saying ours, even though we haven't we haven't compared our lists up until no. now. How can you not put Wayne Gretzky as number one? 
you you can't. There's there's him and everybody else on every single list. It doesn't matter what list it is. Gretzky's no. at the top. No. Yes, Gretzky was 35 when he arrived with the Blues, but he was still a point-per-game guy. The hoopla around him coming to St. Louis was just incredible. They had just opened up the Kiel Center. They were going to call it Wayne's World. You know, I remember uh, seeing the like that in a newspaper article. Um, you know, acquired for basically nothing. You know, or at least nothing of note. Um, the trade was Craig Johnson, who was a bottom six decent forward, Patrice Tardif, uh, Roman Vopot, and a fifth round pick who became a nobody. Uh, Vopot was was supposed to be the prize in that deal. He became no one. But, you know, I remember, the, the, the big things I remember about Gretzky and St. Louis, number one, I have a Wayne Gretzky jersey from that year. Oof. You know, I, I, bought, I, bought, I bought a blank jersey and had it customized. It hangs in my living room uh, today. Uh, I also outgrew it within a month after I bought it too, which makes it hurt even worse. Um, yeah, I definitely should have gone a couple sizes up. Um, but that was the one thing. And then the other thing was, as you know, he 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 did well as a blue, I thought. Um, but he never had that chemistry with uh, Brett Hall, like everyone was drooling about. You know, everyone was saying, you know, you know, everyone was, you know, you're talking about the greatest playmaker with one of the greatest, you know, pure snipers in hockey history. You put them together and there's all there's supposed to be this magic. Well, there's these things called egos, you see. And uh for whatever reason the two just did not really get on. And that kind of remains a mystery to this day. You know, it just but it, but it, it kind of, you know, kind of goes into, you know, sometimes players just don't gel. Well, and, and to be perfectly honest, it was such a short amount of time. You saw how long it took for the Blues to kind of gel last year with a bunch of new players. Even with the egos, I think if Gretzky would have been here long term, they would have found a way to make it work. Uh, they, there would have been a way for them to, to figure out, even if it ended up putting them on two separate lines, they would have found a way to make it work, obviously. Yeah. But I think between Gretzky and Hall they would have found the chemistry that you were looking for and it would have been an unstoppable duo. And in the off season, the blues made a, made a higher offer to Gretzky than the Rangers did, but he wanted to play in New York and also Mike Keenan's a dick. So, you know, I, that's, that did play a role. He, he you go know, Keenan and Gretzky did not get on very well. So yeah, that's, that's the Wayne Gretzky era for you, but he's another guy that he lives in St. Louis. He lives in Frontenac. Married a St. Louis girl. Actually married yeah. a girl that went to the high school I graduated with, Pattonville. So nice. I mean, there's definitely no connection there besides that. But but yeah. And I just love the story that came out in the Post Dispatch a few years ago about one of the reasons why Wayne Gretzky chooses to live in St. Louis is because he can go to the grocery store and not be hounded. You know, he's you know, we're we're more respectful down here than say Edmonton. Oh, most of, I mean, we, we know who these guys are, but we respect them. And we go, Hey, if you're not on the clock, essentially, you're not, you're not on the clock. We're going to let you live your life. Yeah. You'll get some people that, that don't follow it. But for the most part, if you're here in St. Louis and we know who you are, for the most part, you're going to be left alone unless you're on the clock as an athlete. Yeah. So there we go. There's our, uh, uh, competing. These guys were blues top 10 list here. 
Uh, fun, fun run down here. Wags, I know you got to run. I'm probably going to make you lose your job today, but I thank you so much for being on this episode, and uh, uh, let's do it again next week. Yeah, sounds good. I'll be ready. All righty, and that's going to do it for this episode of Blue Notes. I want to thank you for listening, because without you, there is no me, there is no Wags, there is no Blue Notes, and there is no Hockey Podcast Network. Thanks again to Rally House, Cool Hockey, and Tankathon for sponsoring this episode. And I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. listening to the hockey podcast network on twitter at hockeypodnet new episodes every monday and thursday download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from